today on the NFL Films Podcast. There it is, Polly. That music can only mean one thing. The Lombardi theme. Today we discuss Super Bowl 52. We're here, folks. The culmination of the season. This is the song you'll hear when the trophy gets carried out. But before that happens, they need to play the game, and that's what we're going to discuss. We're here with NFL Films guru Greg Cosell. He'll reflect on the championship games. We'll look forward to Eagles-Patriots. Ready, Cause? I'm ready. Welcome back, Greg, to the NFL Films Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. It's good to be with you guys. You know, I was thinking, uh, Paul, somebody asked me this today, uh, how many years in a row now I've been to a Super Bowl? And I think it's been, I've been to every one since 1992. So this is 20, 25 years? Yeah. 25 straight. 1992 That's... would have been the uh, uh, Bills. Was that Atlanta by chance? No, no, Bills, I, Cowboys, no? Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl, 92 okay. season. Yeah, 92, yeah, I think that was. Yeah, because 91 is the red, the first Minnesota Super Correct. Bowl. Correct. Right, Bills, right, Redskins. right, right. So you weren't at that the first Minnesota. I was not. Well, I was I, not. I know where we need to start. See, this is an important. Did, did you guys notice this week the AP? Oh yeah, I, it's yes. Go released, ahead. Go ahead. Released a change in how they would like to name Super Bowls. I don't know where the AP gets off deciding that how they're gonna just dis- all of a sudden we're gonna describe Super Bowls differently. So now the preferred nomenclature on the AP style guide is. To describe Super Bowl 52, not to call it Super Bowl 52, but the 2018 Super Bowl. That which doesn't is, work. It's, which double, is, it's doubly wrong. It's that, problematic that, yes. on multiple levels. Yeah. But we don't need to discuss that. Guys. No, yes, we do. I'm not no. done here. Number one, it's not the 2018 season, which is a huge issue. This is the 2017 season. Is he going to jump into the Steelers here, do you think, Paul? We'll see. We'll go ahead. Let him go. <laughs> Let it ride. I'm right on this one. I'm right on this one. Second of all, it's Super Bowl 52. And any sports fan, every football fan, knows it's Super Bowls by the numbers. Of course. It's part of the whole fun of the—it's the kitschy, ridiculous fun of the Super Bowl is that each one gets a number. I have to say he's so right that it's not even worth talking about anymore because I, I think there's a consensus in the room. Right? I mean, I don't know, Greg. It doesn't I, feel it does, to, I can read his body language. I, just, I, I, all I know is I prefer the five and the two and not the Roman numeral because that's way I'll, beyond my well, simple mind. I'll give you the, 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 the numbers if you want to lose the Roman numerals, although our, the czar, the style czars in, in New York might not, might not agree. Jamie Weston and, and, and our friends at NFL Marketing. But in terms of 2018 Super Bowl, Get out of here, AP. Get out of here. Ridiculous. It's wrong. Rescind. It's just wrong. He's Rescind. feeling it. He's feeling Rescind it. Yeah. This decision. He has to direct his anger towards something I know. right now. I know. I'm not angry. You're angry. <laughs> <laughs> Calmer than you, dude. Calmer than you. All right, let's jump into this game. Well, do you want to jump in or jump back? Do we want to talk about the championship games? Well, they were. They were... Interesting for different reasons is, is I Indeed. guess, the best way to put it. I think, well, I think there are a few leftover questions. Okay. But by the time people listen to this, you know, we're recording this about a week out of the Super Bowl. So, so if you're listening to this, it's a few days before the Super Bowl. Are you there? Should, you know, all right. So there are a couple leftover things. Maybe, like, let's, let's give it a shot and okay. see if it's worth it. Okay. I got one. Go ahead. What the hell happened in Minnesota? (laughs) You know, it was a fascinating game because the score made it seem as if they played really poorly. But what I found interesting is late in the second quarter, Minnesota is driving with its second long drive of the first half in a 14-7 game. Okay? And it was third down, and let's say they score a touchdown, then we're 14-14. Let's say they kick a field goal, then we're 14-10, and, and maybe we just have a tight ball game. And and then you get that one play, which I thought was the key play in the game, the Derek Barnett sack fumble recovered by the Eagles, and then the Eagles ended up scoring 10 more points in the last three minutes, and that changed the game totally. You know, it's funny, and and... As you guys know, and it's probably why we're having this conversation, I think in terms of X's and O's, 
And what struck me on that play, and everybody ripped the protection concept of the Vikings because they had the tight end, Morgan, work across the formation to try to block a defensive end. And one of the first things I thought of was on third down, the Eagles bring Graham inside, Brandon Graham. So you have Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox inside. And if you block it kind of conventionally, normally you end up with a guard matched one-on-one on one of those guys. And that's usually a matchup that favors the Eagles. So I was thinking by doing what they did, which is called a full slide, they slid their line to the right, that takes care of the one-on-one matchups. But by doing that, you then have to work your tight end back or have someone block the defensive end, and they got caught. And But I think that that play, to me, was the play that changed everything about that game. That was actually kind of a tight, hard-fought game up to that point. I agree. I remember thinking they're driving down the field. They had already had the pick six. When that fumble happened, I thought, well, now Minnesota's in trouble. Because in a game like that, it seems you can recover from maybe that pick six. Again, right. to your point, you go down the field and you score again. But the quick turnover after the long drive diminished any momentum. They were in the, Minnesota were in the red zone. Hit, it, it, yes. Yeah. Totally changed it. So, again, this is good. Let's spin forward because we talked about Fletcher Cox last week. You're talking about this play on the defensive line. Chris Long, to me, is one of the fascinating characters who I think has had an amazing, interesting season and is going to probably become one of the stars of Super Bowl week, probably for the second straight year, <laughs> being that he was with the <laughs> right. Patriots and right. everything that's gone on this year with him, both on and off yeah. the field. Tell me about Chris Long and the Eagles' front four in this matchup against this well, Patriots I, offense. I, I, I actually think the Eagles' front's better than the Jaguars' front. And I think that, you know, Chris Long is part of that. It's a rotational front. Long is a defensive end. Derek Barnett, Vinnie Curry, Brandon Graham. You know, this now becomes situational. Who plays where? But Chris Long, to me, has had a much better year than I would bet even the Eagles anticipated as a pass rusher. I think they saw him as a really sort of stable, solid player who could play the run really well, you know, do your job, so to speak, maybe provide some pass rush here and there. But I think he's done a much better job as an edge pass rusher and has been a really important part of what's maybe the best defensive line in, in football. And, and they don't have the one guy with 18 sacks, and that's why some people may not think of him that way. Okay, so we, we find ourselves in this place yet again that a team appears to have the personnel, the front four, to match up with Tom Brady and the Patriots offense. So I, I'm going to ask it this way. The Patriots, this is now the eighth Super Bowl which is just preposterous to yeah. even say out loud for Brady and Belichick together. Eight and 16 years. Yes. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Nothing like it will ever happen again. Let's see if we can't rank this Eagles front against some of the others that have faced the Patriots in the Super Bowl and given them the Seahawks had an excellent front they sure four did. with Averill and Michael Bennett in the gang. We know... The Giants, that was the strength of their team in 2007 with Strahan and Tuck and and everybody else. And 11, they still had a good front four. Um, The earlier Eagles of 04, I I don't remember uh, specifically. That was also a different Patriots team. Right, right, right. right. A little bit of a different team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so yeah. I mean, the Patriots was, hadn't made the turn to really that. It, it hadn't been sort of Brady's offense. team yet in right. a strict sense. So, so we can kind of rule out those first three. Yeah. It's really the last five Super Bowls that we're talking about. Oh, seven, eleven. Only uh, the last five. Well, 14, Super Bowl. Sixteen and seventeen. And notice the years I'm using are not eight. And, and I know what you're ultimately. I know what you're ultimately asking, Kaz, yeah. and it's a hard thing to answer. Because there's individual plays very often that impact games, obviously. I mean, people look, for instance, at this last game with the Patriots at the Amendola 21-yarder on 3rd and 18. And there was a case where the Jaguars do what they basically do. They rush for and they predominantly play zone behind it. So they rushed for and they played quarters coverage, a zone concept. They didn't get anywhere near Brady. No. 
they got and that nothing. Was, and that was a deep drop, too. That wasn't a quick game throw no. because the ball had to go beyond 18 yards. He could have he stood back there for five more seconds. Right. So, you know, here you're talking about a situational play that it's third and 18. If you're a Jaguars fan, given the way their defense has played all year, you're probably feeling pretty good before that play that it's third and 18, we've got the lead, and they're not going to get a first down. And yet you get no pass rush whatsoever. And Amendola runs a dig route and just sits right in front of one of the safeties. And it was actually just a pitch and catch completion. It was really not a hard throw. No, well, it was still, it was a good throw. No, no, I'm not, but I mean, it wasn't a throw that he had to put into a tight window or, I mean, Amendola was open. And now going back, now, is there a case where maybe by that point in the game, the Jacksonville pass rush was tired? You know, and that's always hard to know. Much of the game, the Jaguars controlled the ball, so the Patriots, through three quarters, did not run many offensive plays. In fact, I remember looking at one point, and it might have been near the end of the third quarter, they'd only run something like 39 plays. Yeah, the time of possession, I remember they showed yeah. the graphic midway through the third quarter, and it was definitely tilted towards Jacksonville. Right. So that's right. not a tired front, it's just one that was getting blocked. It was, it on was one point. that was getting blocked, and, and you have to give the Patriots' O-line a ton of credit. So that's why I say it's so hard to answer that question, is, is the Eagles' defensive line, as we sit here abstractly and try to break down the game better than the Patriots' offensive line? It is. But that doesn't mean in certain situations they're not going to get blocked. We don't know that. Or maybe in certain situations they win and they sack Brady or they cause a bad throw. It's You get into, it probably sounds like Bill Belichick here, it's situational football, those critical moments and those critical down and distances that that determine the outcomes of, of games. You say, It's funny you say you got to give the Patriots offensive line credit. That's something no one ever does. You never, nobody ever talks right. about the Patriots' offensive line, which was not great this season. No, pa- Brady got beat up more than he has in recent years. That is correct. All of a sudden, they get to the playoffs. Lo and behold, they're fine. And, and just shows you the way Belichick thinks. Because think of it this way: the last six, seven weeks of the regular season, the Patriots had kind of morphed into a team that ran the ball a lot and ran it well. Deion Lewis had a couple of games with more than twenty carries. He, he, he'd become almost like a feature back. I think he ended up the season with almost 900 yards rushing. Then you get to the two playoff games, certainly against Tennessee, and they don't even attempt to run the ball. That was by choice. There was no commitment to running. They didn't even do that much of it against Jacksonville. So you get to the playoffs, and what their M.O. had been for the final six, seven games of the regular season suddenly was no longer their M.O., it is how well did the Jags tackle Deion Lewis? By the way, oh, they were Talk, flying my around. Goodness, he could, I've never seen Deion Lewis tackled like that. They, that defense really is fast and strong. It's a very fast defense, but you know, and again, one of the things that the Patriots do exceptionally well, and I've stated this before, I think they do it better than any team in the league is they line up in base personnel with a fullback on the field, James Devlin. So they have a back, a fullback, a tight end and two wide receivers, base personnel, and they are as multiple or more multiple with their formations out of that personnel package than any team in the league. And you saw that, I've seen it all year, but there's numerous examples of that. One was just the second play of this AFC championship game when he hit Cooks for 31 yards on a seam ball. It was 21 personnel. He had Cooks in the slot to the short side of the field, and Telvin Smith is lined up over him. Now, Telvin Smith is athletic, and that's great. But normally, teams play zone in that situation, and Telvin Smith was his own player, and Cooks ran right by him. So let me understand. Is that what you're saying is they the net result is a great level of deception? The fact that they can run so many things out of the same personnel group Correct. makes it harder for the defense to predict what might be coming. Well, because defense is predominantly when they're in their base defensive personnel. So let's say for the Eagles, it would be four down linemen, three linebackers, four defensive backs. Normally when teams are in base defense on first down or normal down and distance, could be second and four, normal down and distance situations, you pretty much know what their coverage will be based on film study because their coverage is fairly predictable. That's why a lot of people say first and 10 is the best down to throw because you tend to get predictable fronts and predictable coverages based on film study. Third and nine, 
the defense ends up having the tactical advantage. They can do so many more things. But on first and 10 or second and three, that's not the case. So what is this Eagles defense that you've been, you've been very complimentary of the Eagles defense oh, yeah. so far today. If you're playing Patriots, if you're Josh McDaniels right now, what is the weakness that you see in that Patriots defense that you're going to try? You I'm sorry, Eagles the defense. Eagles yeah. defense, excuse me, that you're going to try and exploit? Well, you know, I think that the Eagles are predominantly high percentage, single high safety. So they'll play a lot more zone in normal down and distance, which means it's cover three. Okay, the, the Cooks play I described a moment ago came against cover three with Jacksonville. So that's what they'll play. So they're voids. So that's where it, the Patriots are so good with their route design, route concepts, uh, to break down zone coverage. They are really, really good at it. One of the best teams in the league. Uh, and that's where pressure comes to bear. Because ultimately, and, and not to bring back bad memories for Kaz with the Steelers, but ultimately, if you're going to play zone, there has to be some pressure. Because zone— Up front, yes, pressure on the quarterback. Yes, because zone, ultimately, no zone is really built to defend beyond what we would call five-step drop timing. If you get to—here's the way it works, and I think this is really clear. Three-step drop timing, the ball is out in 1.5 seconds. Okay, five-step top drop timing, the ball's out in 2.1 seconds. That's what zones are built for. If you get to seven-step drop timing, which is 2.6, 2.7 seconds before the quarterback will release the ball, zones are not really built for that because there's voids in every zone. Otherwise, everybody would play the same zone. So if you get beyond five-step drop timing, beyond, you know, you get to two and a half seconds, three seconds— the advantage goes to the quarterback and the offense. And when you have a quarterback like Brady, you know what? He's going to find receivers receivers in voids. Amendola time, cause That's what I'm hearing if you're the Patriots. Oh, boy. Well, it's anybody. I mean, it's not just Amendola. It's however they choose to attack uh, with their route concepts. But you need to speed up. If you're playing zone predominantly, and I'm not saying the Eagles will. I think they will on first down. I'm not sure what they'll do when it gets to, you know, second along or third and long or situationally. But, you know, you need to speed up Brady. So, all right. So two things just for the, uh, for, for us lay people, I, I want to unpack there. Since since we may be looking at, 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 a, at a good deal of cover three in this game, you, very you quickly, what is cover three? Cover three is where you play with a, your two corners and a single high safety as they each are responsible for a third of the field. Now, the deep safety is responsible for the deep third. The corners are responsible for the entire third, short, intermediate, deep. So normally when the Eagles play cover three, their corners play with a cushion. See, it'll be very interesting to me to see if early in the game that the Patriots attack throwing quick hitch, hitches because the Eagles will give up some of that. Uh, see, and, and, then, and then you're going to get into potential double moves, which the Eagles have struggled with at times, both Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby. I wanted to bring that up at some point. What, they've been susceptible to the double moves. They move. have. How come we didn't see that in their two postseason games at all? Did it, it, they try. It's teams— uh, was it Minnesota? Uh, Atlanta that tried it. Uh, no, Atlanta tried it. I remember specifically mm-hmm. Atlanta tried it in the second half with Mohamed Sanu on Jalen Mills, and Mills did not bite. And Mills had been beaten in Mills, the last couple weeks of the yes, regular season, and Darby as well. So the thing is, is the Eagles when they play cover three, they play with their corners with a cushion, meaning off coverage. Their corners are not up close to the receiver. So very often, what you try to do is you try you throw balls in front of them. For completions, and that's why I mentioned the hitch, which the Patriots, we've seen many games over the years where Brady just seems like he's, you know, he just drops back and keeps throwing hitches and hitches and hitches, and every play gains six yards. And, you know, it's a good game. So we'll see. But I think, you know, the Eagles tend to play off coverage with their corners. And I was going to say, if you give Brady six yards— He'll do it a hundred well, straight. Exactly. Times. He, so he has more patience than any quarterback in history. We've seen it. We've seen it in Super Bowls. We've seen it in championship games. And he will. He he just never gets impatient. No, that's his greatest strength. I think 
He'll if that's what the Eagles if the Eagles are going to concede something, he's that he'll take it all day. What will Jim Schwartz do to speed him up to bring pressure? You talked about that's, their, their yeah. back end with the cover three. What will the front and the linebackers well, do? That's a great question. I mean, the Eagles this year have been pretty basic up front. You know, there, there's been times they've stunted, but they don't do a lot of that where they loop, you know, a rusher behind another rusher. Um, you know, with two weeks to prepare, I, I, I can't answer that specifically, but, you know, it's not been a team that's been Let me that ask you multiple that, with what they do up front. How have they brought pressure? How have they succeeded bringing pressure this season? They succeed a couple of ways. They're, when it gets when they're in their sub package, meaning it's not their base defense, when they either have five or six defensive backs on the field, that's where they tend to bring Brandon Graham inside. That's one thing they do. So Cox and Graham are inside as pass rushers. Very difficult to block them with one on one with a guard. The center will usually help out one or the other. He can't help both. The other thing that they've done quite a bit of this year, and I'll be anxious to see if they do it, is they line up in what we call a five across front meaning they'll take a linebacker, it's usually Nigel Bradham. And he'll, he may not be a rusher, but he starts out head up over, let's say, a guard. So now you've covered up all five offensive linemen, which they don't know who's coming and who's not coming, so they have to pass set to the player right in front of them. Very often when they do that, they put Fletcher Cox head up on the center because they always feel that Fletcher Cox is a mismatch for any center in the league, and they will feel that way in this game against David Andrews. We mentioned Danny Amendola who had a tremendous fourth quarter against Jacksonville in the championship game. And I want to play a clip from our wonderful show, Turning Point, that uh, aired this week. It, it was a celebration of his performance. But, but let's listen to this for a minute, and then let's discuss. Tom Brady had good reason to be confident. He still had wide-out Danny Amendola to throw to. In his five seasons in New England... Amendola has developed a reputation as a clutch performer in the playoffs. Diving to the pylon! Touchdown! Wow! Last year, in Super Bowl 51, Amendola was a key figure in the Patriots' historic comeback. Two for the tie. Tom takes the step. Quick throw to Amendola. Screen left. Reaches across the goal line. It's a tie game in Super Bowl 51! Since 2013, Amendola has more postseason receptions than Rob Gronkowski. Every time the playoffs come, he's always stepping up his game. He's just Danny playoff Amendola. All right. Now, I have nothing against Danny Amendola. The plays he made against Jacksonville were tremendous. But at the risk of criticizing NFL ourselves here, we... Really? Is Danny Amendola suddenly a playoff legend? Well, first of all, that, that brings us back to a point that I w was hoping to make anyway, and now it leads in beautifully. He caught two fourth-quarter touchdowns this week, okay? They were both red zone plays. The Patriots have been in the red zone more than any team in the NFL this year, and they're obviously very good with their touchdown efficiency. But you have to understand why they're so good. They do it all based on past design, because obviously Brady is not making second reaction outside of structure plays. It's not Aaron Rodgers moving around, waiting for someone to get open where the defense breaks down. Those two touchdowns that Amendola caught in the fourth quarter, I'm not saying anybody could have caught. That's not my point. I'm not trying to take anything away from Danny Amendola. But those were so, just what I was saying earlier, those were so well designed in structure. Both times the Jaguars were playing zone coverage. The first one was a great example of moving zone defenders out of their zones or, or forcing them, threatening them within their zone and then bringing Amendola into a void. The second touchdown, Brady actually looked to Brandon Cooks. That's where he wanted to make the throw. He did not feel comfortable making that throw. And then Amendola came across the back of the end zone, and, and it was in Brady's vision, so he made the throw. But, I mean, the first play, I think, was designed for Amendola. The second one was not. So, again, if you haven't seen the championship 
game edition of Turning Point, NFL Turning Point on NFL Network. I, I strongly advise drop everything. It, it is it is as good a football show as we produce, and and I believe that there is on TV. Um, but I think, Polly, that my point has just been proven by by Mr. Cosell that Danny Amendola made great plays in that game, but like. Play long enough in this system with this quarterback and this coaching staff in all of these postseason games. And, yeah, eventually you're going to make a lot of big plays in the postseason. He's a system receiver, well, Greg. they throw the ball a lot. I mean, Deion Branch was an MVP in a Super Bowl, yeah. and, and I love Deion Branch. He was in our broadcast boot camp. I spent a lot of time with him. He's a terrific guy. you know. But I think when a team passes a lot and has a great quarterback who finds people— uh, Someone has to catch the ball. <laughs> right. right. I mean, you he know. throws it right between your yeah. numbers. Oh, yeah, do, so your, again, it, do your job. And the, you back, get to, the back line play was you know, pretty good. It was a good it was, oh, a, it was a really good they've play. They've run that play before. I've seen that play before. But like Against zone. That's yeah, the, yeah. But, but we've watched Danny Amendola on this team for several years. We watched him side by side with Julian Edelman, um, who, who is truly terrific. I mean, I think we saw Julian Edelman last year was an absolutely great football player who dominated games. I don't think we've ever seen Danny Amendola perform at that level. We've not seen Danny Amendola deliver a performance that even Brandon Cooks, like Brandon Cooks was downfield. He was somewhat, he was a big play player all season, but in that championship game. Well, he had that drop, which was another great call against an anticipated zone. Zone coverage well, without go. going into detail of, yeah. of the zone, it's, it, it you know wouldn't work unless you see it. But he dropped that right. ball, which probably would have been a touchdown. Well, there you go. Brandon Cooks dropped the ball. That's the difference, I guess. I think you're you're also the the, the legend of Amendola, although it didn't play out in that clip in that game, is also a function of the punt return. Well, the punt. No, I know the punt. He made four. Two touchdowns, the punt return, and the third and 18. This is not to take anything away from what was an incredible performance by a really good football player. I just take issue with all of a sudden he's gained a reputation as a clutch player and like there's a legend that we're burnishing. It's like, yeah, dude, you play in the championship game eight straight years. You're going to make some big plays. See, that, that kind of stuff doesn't mean anything to People me, are just Paul. bored you know saying how good yeah. Tom Brady is. Yeah. Cause right. I, think they well, need... I know, I know. Look, wait. Well, Greg, you while you're in your room looking at tape, the rest of us here at NFL Films are here to mythologize and burnish legends. Well, and, I've done my and, share of that. I've been here 38 years. Yeah, I know. You know. I know. But, you know, you're, <laughs> you live in the world of facts. We live in the world of mythology most of the time. It's, it's wonderful when we can intersect. But, you know, I think, I think maybe we got a little bit ahead of ourselves on, on, <laughs> on well, playoff Dola. Maybe play, – well, see if he shows up this week and you, you have to – you might have to eat your words on, on Amendola. I'd be, I'd be happy to. I hope he succeeds. Like, like he's terrific. We, we saw – We've Danny, known Danny Amendola a long time we, around we here. We discovered Danny Amendola in 2008 on Hard Knocks. See, now we, we're taking credit for I him. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we discovered. I mean, Belichick would have never found him. He's like the fourth Hard Knocks star, by the way, that Belichick has picked up. Chris Hogan. Hogan. Danny Woodhead. Yeah. All these guys. Was Hogan the guy, uh, the 7-Eleven? 7-Eleven, always, always open. open. Yeah. There the, you go. With the Dolphins. That's he right. Make That's the right. And Danny Woodhead was with the Jets in 2010. That's right. Got cut by Rex and immediately picked up by the Patriots. Amendola was with the 08 Cowboys. Got cut personally by Jerry Jones, which Jerry never did. Jerry loved him. He was great. Ended up getting cut, and here he is. He's made it ten years and had a great career. So, great career. I mean, Danny Amendola, like all the kudos in the world. Like, the guy's had a terrific career. So what we've learned is Belichick does his personnel work by watching Hard Knocks. Obviously, that's what I'm extrapolating. Uh, yes, obviously, I mean, clearly the case. So, obviously. <laughs> all right, let's talk about. We talked about one side of the ball a little more than the other. Let's flip it now. Patriots defense. Yep. Uh, another. We talked about McDaniel's. All talk is that he's going to be leaving the nest, as they say. The other coordinator, Matt Patricia, another uh, potential head coach in waiting here in a couple weeks. And you know where he coached early in his career, Paul? You probably don't know this. Well, I know a little bit about Matt Patricia, but I I don't know. Where? Where He coached at Amherst College. Do you know where he uh, matriculated in college, Greg? But you'll tell me. Uh, God's country, upstate New York, Troy. 
Rensselaer Polytechnic wow, Institute. Wow, but he did coach for two years at Amherst College. So is that where, was that his first coaching job? You know, I don't know. Of course, it was way after I was there, but uh, that's sure, where he coached for two sure years. I'm sure there's a long line of Amherst assistants who have who have become uh, legendary defensive coordinators and, and NFL head coaches. Lombardi, right? Was he at Amherst? No, maybe no. not. Okay. West Point, so, Lombardi. So what will Patricia do to make sure he – because it's, it's basically the aerospace engineer, Matt right. Patricia – Against Nick Foles. Well, you have to start. It's not just Nick Foles. The Eagles have. <laughs> well, I'm distilling it, but you're going to. The Eagles gonna, have as multiple <laughs> a run game as there is in the NFL. A multiple. As multiple a run game with different run concepts. You know what I'm going to ask and, you to do? Explain well, what that means. A little bit. Come on. Well, as in everything with football, there's concepts. That's how you start. You start with concepts. That's how it's taught. You know, the running game is not, hey, give the ball to the back and just run around. You know, so there's. Different kinds of concepts. There's zone run concepts. There are what's called gap scheme concepts where you see the guard pull across the formation, what is often called power or counter. You see outside concepts, what, what is often called G scheme, G for guard, where the guard pulls not across the formation but outside the formation. There's toss sweep where you can pull two offensive linemen, very similar to almost the Lombardi sweep back in the day. So there's many – there's something called wham, which the Patriots do a lot of, where you bring a tight end from a wing position into the middle of the defense, and he blocks a defensive tackle. So offensive linemen can work up to the linebacker level. So this is multiplicity of design. And Correct. I, if I'm not mistaken, they also have multiplicity of personnel. When, Correct. All right. So, so how- they, their, their run game is exceedingly multiple. And what do you envision in, well, in this game? Exceedingly multiple. Let, let's look at what the Patriots. I, st- I strenuously object. They're they're strenuously multiple. Asked and answered. Let's um. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Let's uh let's go to what the Patriots defense is just conceptually. What they're built on is front multiplicity, meaning all different kinds of deep, of looks with their deep down linemen. Front multiplicity. And coverage consistency. They're not one of those teams that plays, you know, eight, nine different coverage looks. They're a man-based defense. Now, there's some things within man, but mostly it's a team built on front multiplicity and coverage consistency and stability. That's the Patriots. It's very much a do-your-job, and I know that's a cliche, but it's, but it's, it's true. That's why it became a cliche. It's very much a do-your-job defense. So— Against this multiple running game. My sense is they'll mix and match their fronts throughout based on Belichick's film study. He's way smarter than I am, so I can't tell you what he's going to do. Sure. Uh, but they'll mix their fronts a lot. They'll mix personnel a lot. And, uh, you know, based on his study, he'll have in his mind a very good sense of what runs the Eagles will do in given situations with given field position and therefore hope to defend those runs. And you've made the point about it's more than just Nick Foles they're playing, of course, but we can't overlook that. What will the role of this quarterback and his strengths or shortcomings, how will that play into well, what, again, we always say the Patriots want to take something away. How will that impact their approach Well, one of the, the things the Eagles will do, which Jacksonville hurt the Patriots with, particularly in the first half, is what we call RPOs, run-pass option. And really the goal with that is to make sure you don't have negative plays. Run pass options are not necessarily geared, you know, for explosive 40-yard plays. But what you are is you you come up the quarterback there's in a sense two play calls built into one. There's a run part and a pass part. The offensive line will block for the run. Now the quarterback will decide based on the front look. It could be based on box count, meaning how many defensive players are in the box, whether it's what we call a light box or a loaded box. It could be based on the position of one specific second-level player, meaning a linebacker. It could be based on any number of those things. And then the quarterback decides, do I hand it off because the run game is favorable based on numbers, or do I throw the pass play that's part of the run-pass option? So that's a fundamental of the Eagles' offense. Yes, and Jacksonville hurt the, the Patriots with it all those plays to Grant in the first half were run-pass options. Not all of them, but, but most of them. We, we have a, a bite from the sideline of the NFC Championship game that one of our cameras picked up. And we, I, I was going to bring it in so we could listen to it, but it's very hard to hear. 
Um, but it's Carson Wentz sitting on the bench talking to someone about how hard it is to play against us. I would hate to have to play against us because we do they so, do so many much. different things. And he's going on and on about it. Like we just and I and you just uh, you know referred to it with the exceedingly multiple running game. Is that and and I guess the RPOs does it extend also to the passing? Absolutely. Game? One of the things the Eagles do exceptionally well and I think really good offenses do this, is they run the same concepts out of totally different personnel packages and looks. So everything looks different and ends up being the same, the which, op- which helps the offense because they know the concepts. It's the opposite of the Patriots. The Patriots are that you said they're, they use, they're very multiple out of the same formation, whereas you said the No, Eagles- no, no. I said they're very multiple out of per- same personnel. No, I said they're they're very multiple with their formation. Okay, right. Okay. Right. So the Eagles like the Eagles have various concepts in the pass game. One's called flood. It's a three level stretch concept to one side of the field. Okay. Another is dagger. It's it's you know, without going into all the details, but they have specific concepts and combinations that they get to out of different personnel, different formation looks. So you can't just look at a formation and go, Oh, they're gonna run that. You know, which surprisingly a lot of teams do in the NFL. And, you know, I think that's one reason, for instance, that let's say, you know, Sean McVay and Jared Goff had such a good marriage this year. It was really well-defined offensively and difficult for the defense. And is Doug Peterson in-game now? Is Doug Peterson sort of the 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 brain behind that? Is he calling the plays? Is he? Well, is he's he... calling the plays, but the, but— you know, I don't think the Eagles – look, obviously they did the flea flicker last week and they obviously felt they had them on the ropes at that point and they wanted to try to put the game away. They'll do some of that in this game. It might not be a flea flicker, but they'll have – even the week before it gets against Atlanta, I don't know if you remember the specific play when Aguilar ran for 21 yards down to the three-yard line. That was a specific package-type play that looked different than their normal plays, but it also looked the same a little bit if if you study them. So – they do those kinds of things, but they also have clear staples that they will run every single week. And Doug Peterson is very aggressive. They are not going to get conservative. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you just said something that must be music to the ears of Eagles fans, that you said that Peterson essentially has a killer instinct. He does. And, and, and going for that flea flicker, trying to go for a kill shot. That is what you need to do in the when playoffs. you're up on the Patriots specifically. Right. How many times well, Jackson, have we seen teams they will not, kind of lose their nerve Jacksonville against the Patriots? criticized for having the two timeouts and what, 55 seconds and left? At the end of the first half. Yeah. I don't we, recall we, ever seeing that. 55 seconds, two timeouts, and a fourth-year quarterback. You know, it's one thing if that was a rookie quarterback. But anyway, that's beyond the, well, beside them, the point. But, but, but last year in, in the Super Bowl, Atlanta got up 28-3, to famously, of course. And but they didn't get they conservative. Didn't, they, didn't get, they, they, they were criticized they, for not getting conservative. They were, yeah. They didn't get conservative. That fumble by Hightower, which is just a blown assignment right, by right. Freeman, which oh, was as right. basic well, as it gets. We yep. When I came back to the office after the Super Bowl and, and watched that tape, well, that, that, was, that yeah. would have been a touchdown. Uh, Ryan was just getting ready to deliver yeah. the ball. Aldrick Robinson was wide open 30 yards down the field. That would have been a 60 or 70-yard touchdown, and Freeman just missed a routine block. That's right. That's right. So, and, and the criticism was you should have just sat on the ball and kicked the field goal and the game was over. Right. So, you know, the thing is, here's the way this works, which you know, Kaz, and you know Paul as well. Our, our response to the game is guided by the result of, of the game. Yep. And I try to, you know, I'm not saying I'm smarter than anybody else, but I try not to look at games that way. You know, I, it's easy when you have the result to say, well, that should have happened instead. That's easy. I try not to look at it like that. But on balance... I would think if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm I'm conf- I'm given confidence by the by the signs that Doug Peterson has shown well, calling games and and keeping his foot on the gas. Cuz for whatever this means and we know that Tom Brady is always an X factor because he's Tom Brady. But whatever for whatever this means, I would argue that the Eagles have an advantage with their O-line versus the Patriots' D-line. I would argue the Eagles have the advantage with their D-line versus the Patriots' O-line. If you're just looking at ta- – now, this is separate from tactics, which are then – which we've discussed a bunch, and that's a separate issue. But just in terms of, of personnel, I would make that argument. I think you always want to have the advantage – again, not to bring it back to the Giants, but the – 
You always want to be, if you're the quote-unquote underdog, have have a strong defense. And that's why I just feel like the Eagles, they've looked so good the last couple of weeks. And what you just and why I thought of it is what you just said. They have a strong defense, and they're also good on the line. And as we've another sort of fundamental. Right. But that's a good place to be when you're going into a big game is, right. is strong but up now, front now on both get, sides of the ball. Now you get into the tactics, particularly the offensive tactics by the Patriots. They're so good at compensating for and camouflaging some concerns on their own line. They're right. phenomenal at that. Just a, a real quick point, you know, a couple of things I think about as I look at this matchup. We know Belichick's phenomenal in situational football. He doesn't care about yards on defense. He cares about stopping teams from scoring. I think a couple of things to look for. I think on third down, I think you'll see him double Zach Ertz on occasion on third down. And in the red zone, I think you'll see him double Ertz and Jeffrey. He's very well known when you get to the red zone for doubling two receivers. And I think he'll feel that Jeffrey and Ertz need to be doubled in the red zone. Well, if you're doubling two receivers, somebody has to be open. No, no, no. Somebody does not have to be open. Why not? You can double two. You can't double more than two. Ah. It's a numbers game. You can, you, can, you can still match up man-to-man on the other three receivers uh, man-to-man with no help, but you can... But somebody, somebody presumably so you, is going to have a favorable well, so, matchup in that Well, they might not view it that way. They could double Jeffrey with Eric Rowe right. and, and a safety and right. then put Stephon Gilmore on, in their mind, Got he's it. their best corner. So and, put, uh, put Butler and Gilmore in the on, singles and use their other guys in the doubles. Yeah. Got it. You can always double two. You can't double three. And wouldn't it also then open up more running possibilities if you're if you're spending so much time to, in the back end well well he's only going to do that on you know he's not going to do that on first and 10 I he'll see. do it and you know that's purely situational that's when he's going to have sub package on the field either 5 6 or 7 defensive backs no team in the NFL played more snaps with 7 defensive backs than the patriots i wanted to move off the field for a minute sure let's do it i didn't do it when we, <laughs> when we, well, when we get to this point, there's usually some analysis of these two teams, what they did to separate themselves from the pack over the course of the season. And one thing I've been thinking about over the last week here is the way these teams were constructed, particularly by, by the GMs, by Howie Roseman, by whoever right. is, is working with Belichick, the, the, the multiple people in the, in the Patriots front office. These all these teams are so close in talent. I think these pickups you make every off season, the one year free agent signings, the veteran free agents, the one or two trades, even the mid season trade, those little edges you can pick up on the margins. If those well, pay off, then that seems to be an area where you can differentiate. And if you look at both of these teams. They had an incredibly high success rate this year. It's funny you say that because look at the Eagles' backfield, okay? Right. Blunt was a free agent signing yes. in the offseason. Ajay was a midseason trade. Yep. Corey Clement was a free agent. He was not drafted. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at their entire – and it's a very good and multiple backfield in what they bring to the table. All of which allowed them to overcome the loss of Darren Sproles. Correct. Who is co- totally forgotten. Now, like, this, when you do a great job personnel-wise, you are able to overcome injuries like the loss of Sproles, the Dar- loss of, of – Peters. Of Jason Peters. Peters. Who some thinks the best left tackle in football. Yeah. They lost, they lost. Jordan Hicks, they lost their middle linebacker. And, and while he might not be a household name, he's a really good player. And who did the Patriots lose? Julian Edelman. Yep. Their, their number one wide receiver. Dante Hightower, yep. the linchpin of their front seven, their middle linebacker, well, who's lost, also a pass rusher. They lost Gronk in the championship game. They lost game. Gronk in the middle of the championship game. Malcolm Mitchell, who was a young receiver that a lot who of people was thought was— Who was a key factor in the Super Bowl a year ago. Right. And yeah. both of these—like, we saw a lot of teams get felled by their key injuries. These two teams were constructed with depth, with with enough depth to overcome a lot of serious injuries to important And it's also a tribute to the approach and the coaching because, you know, you lose a Jason Peters and you have to put Vitae uh, in the game at left tackle, who was not drafted to be a left tackle, you know, even though I remember liking him coming out of college, but he was not drafted to be a left tackle. And while he's had some snaps that are bad snaps, obviously, but he has not derailed the offense. 
there's another injury. I mean, Carson Wentz goes down. Uh, yeah, he's pretty good, by the yeah. way. Well, they picked up Nick Foles, <laughs> yeah. who had played in Philly. Who and who played they're... in KC last year when you know yeah. for right. Andy Reid, which is methodology-wise the same offense. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> now, and then look at the performances in these championship games. Cooks had a big game. Gilmore made the key play. That's their big free agent right. pickup, New England, in the offseason. Made the winning play on 4th and 15. Beautiful play. Uh, Harrison. James Harrison. We oh, my know, God. We've heard yeah. him. He had the sack on 3rd down. He's like a recurring character yeah, in this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but Harrison made the play. Well, you know what's we fascinating? all knew he could make. You, want, you know what's fascinating about that? Just to show you, and again, like I said, Belichick's way smarter than I am, so I don't know if he did it based on intuition, based on a feel, or if it was planned out. But Harrison, all game long, had not played one snap in their sub-package, and in crunch time, he was on the field in their sub-packages, which... You know, when I was watching the tape, I was you know, I was watching because even the week before he played only in their base defense, and then all of a sudden in crunch time against Jacksonville, he's on the field in their sub packages, just breaking Gosh. tendencies. Is that what that is? I, only Belichick could tell you that. Yeah. And he's probably not going to share that with us. Not, not this week. Not this maybe week. Maybe next week. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, maybe in an obvious pa- I don't know, right an obvious I, pass yeah. rushing situation like that. You just because they don't have a pure him. pass rusher. Well, yeah, which, yeah. which he is. You know, if he gets one on one against a left tackle, he's got a shot. And you might see that. That it's funny you say that. Now thinking about that, you could see that in this game against Vitae. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey was a one-year signing. Who they've who, the who they've now, have signed now signed since, yeah. But a great one-year signing. Yep. Chris Long was a one-year veteran pickup. Boy, and, as and, was Legarrette Blunt. I mean, we talked about him, Paul. When you brought him up, and he's been big for the Eagles. And two Patriots, you know, they won. They both won rings last year. Again, this isn't a tactical thing, but we've we've heard enough stories over the years. Those guys are really important this week. Yes, keeping the glue together, keeping guys with their nose to the grindstone in yeah. Super Bowl week when we've we've seen other guys go astray. I mean, those are the kind of leaders that could make a difference in, in what could ultimately be a three or four or seven point game, yep. which we've so, seen so many of recently. So I guess I guess I guess it's there's a yeah duh quality. Yeah, of course that the, the, their moves paid off. They made it to the Super Bowl. Well, it's but, to his point when it works. But the it, the but other it, thing that's interesting too to me, just to sort of finish up talking about. We talked about players. I think we know about the Patriots coaching staff. We don't need to discuss them. The Eagles have a veteran coaching staff. Now, I don't know how many have coached in Super Bowls. Uh, was Jim Schwartz with uh, Tennessee when they were in the Super Bowl and lost to the Rams? Oh, I don't think so. No? I think that, that was, was before his time. Okay, well, anyway, 20 years but, ago. but the point is they have a veteran NFL coaching staff. So, again— I know maybe they haven't coached in Super Bowls, but they've been around the block a few times. You know, this is not—I don't think this will be a bright lights, big big city thing for for them. These are guys who've been in the league a long time, have coached, and I think that they have a pretty good feel for how you go about this. This is a really unique team in history, Cause. This is the number one seed in the NFC. They were, what, 13-3? and three? Yep. They lose their quarterback. We've talked about Jeff Hostetler on this podcast before, but they're following that model, but— Again, they were the, the Niners were the number one seed in 1990. The Eagles were the number one seed. They went into the playoffs with this backup. backup. They've been the underdog now. They're, they're going to be underdog right. three weeks in a row. Correct. And if they win the Super Bowl, I mean, it's the perfect, again, the perfect Philadelphia underdog story. If, if, if you're going to get your first Lombardi trophy in your Philadelphia. Oh, and that'll be played up. This is quite well, a good well, fit. I, I especially love the Peterson aspect of it because if you remember— for those of us who were in Philadelphia at that time, and, and, and Greg, you and I were working at films. I don't right. think Paul had gotten here yet. When Andy Reid was hired, this was in 1998 yes. in Philadelphia, he drafts Donovan McNabb. Correct. He brings in this backup quarterback, Doug Peterson, who's going to be his bridge quarterback. Who he'd been with in Green Bay. He'd been with him in Green Bay, and he's going to start for that first season until McNabb's ready to play. Doug Peterson was treated worse. Oh, by the Philadelphia fans than maybe any athlete in history. Just ravaged, ravaged from the minute. He was not a, a good quarterback. He that's, was not, that's something you just said right there. He was, ra- I mean, it was ruthless. Am I, am I, uh, no, we know I'm given to hyperbole. No, you, you, it but, might be extreme, but the point is because he ha- tended to throw interceptions, which normally oh, doesn't play well with the Philly fan base. Oh, but they killed him. They killed him. They killed him. So he, in a way... Peterson was was forged in the in the fires of of the gotta, Philadelphia bile. I'm going to tell you a very quick funny story. That first training camp, I was actually at 
out at training camp, or maybe it was OTAs, whatever it was. So I'm standing. I was actually standing with Ron Jaworski, and Doug Peterson's out there, and he throws interceptions on three consecutive balls, okay? So I just <laughs> turned to Jaws and go, Jaws, man, he's terrible. His agent happened to be standing right next to me. Uh. <laughs> he let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the data on Schwartz. The, he has had a fascinating career. Oh, As you know, yeah. he was with Belichick in Cleveland. Yes. In the famous Cleveland uh, yeah. 90s. So he might have seen was... football life Cleveland 95. Yeah. You yeah. would know he was he was a low-level office boy, essentially. Right. A slappy, they call him. Slap. Then he went to Baltimore, 1999 defensive assistant, Tennessee Titans. So he was there. He was there. He was not, not yet the, Jim Schwartz. Schwartz. Right. Nice he was job, just Greg. starting yeah. out. Yeah. He, he became their I thought he was. I just didn't remember, you know, I if he was the coordinator. He was their linebackers coach in yeah. 2000, which is the, the famous year when they were beaten by Ray He's Lewis a really smart guy, by the way. Oh, Georgetown, yeah. I think. Yeah, he's a really smart guy. And then he was with the Titans for a long time, head coach of yeah. the Lions, with uh, the Bills as defensive yeah. coordinator for a season, and then he came to Philly yeah. and, and is often presumed to want to—he's going to, to he's gonna wind up being a head coach. Somewhere along somewhere. the line. Yeah. Yeah, well, well he, so that just you know again that just drives home the point that the Eagles have a veteran coaching staff that's seen a lot. Won't be shook. I don't think so, and I don't think they'll change their aggressive approach. I think that's that's just who they are. Let's move Greg off the X and O tactical uh, page for a second. You said you've been in NFL films how many years? Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. So you were here in nineteen eighty. I was. In the Eagles' first Super Bowl I was. Run. You were here in 2004, obviously, and you're here now. This is their third shot at bringing home a Lombardi trophy. Uh, you've been as close to watching the evolution of the Eagles uh, in the last 30 Do years as anybody. Do I have to sing the fight song, Fly, Eagles, Fly? We could close with that, but no, what I, I want to know, we, we, we don't have the rights. <laughs> it's a very hard song to license. <laughs> Can you imagine, Greg, what will this what will this championship mean to this fan base oh that you've seen God. over the last 27, 30, 30, 37 years? You know, it, it was an odd feeling. I almost got the sense that it, w- it was unexpected that they got there this year. In other words, there are some years where you feel like, hey, everybody's excited about the Eagles, and then they disappoint them. You know, as many fan bases, that's the way it is. This year, I kind of felt like, wow, we're in the Super Bowl. That's really cool. Like, it wasn't an expected—I mean, maybe it was expected before Wentz got hurt. But I don't—I'm not sure how many people really thought—you know, and I can't speak for people, but just my sense, my vibe of the city. And now everybody's really pumped up. This will explode. Well, it's fitting. Like, everybody left him for dead when Wentz got hurt. Oh, no question. This is the one time everybody—this city gave up on this team. And they they can—nobody better try and say otherwise because they absolutely did— Give up on this Eagles team the minute, and for good reason. The whole thing was built around Carson Wentz. Well, Greg makes an interesting point too. I mean, coming into this season, let's go back for a minute. The Cowboys were thirteen and three last uh, in two thousand sixteen. The Giants, I think, were eleven and five. Yeah, they the made Giants the, they were made good the, last year. They made the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so at best, and the Redskins he, were solid. Yeah, yeah, the Redskins with a decent quarterback. Yeah. And Wentz showed promise, but he wasn't. He, they well, were no one anticipated. No, uh, well, you know, again, I don't want to say no one because that's hard. I mean, I loved Wentz coming out of North Dakota State. I can't sit here and tell you I expected him to have 33 touchdown passes through 12 games. You know, that'd be silly to say. But I thought he'd make a significant jump from his first year to his second year. But but the kind of jump he made was was really impressive. The expectations were not high. Were, no, they were not. No in one the, thought they, On Labor yeah. Day weekend in no. Philadelphia for the Eagles season. I'm sure there was hope. As and then all, they won week one, and then they lost week two in Kansas City, and I think people thought, okay, that's that's an expected loss. You know, we're a solid team, but, you know, hey, that's an expected loss. They're the underdog number one seed for the third week in a row with the lo- with the lost— I mean, I've never—I don't remember a story like this in, in history. And this is where it comes—if we're writing the story, the fact that they could do it against the Patriots, the Death Star— only underscores think, the drama of of how excited the fan base will look, be. Look, you know, we know the storylines, because obviously we all know the storylines, okay? But I think the Eagles have a very legitimate chance to win this game. I agree. I can see it. I totally you agree. Know? At the same time. And and I think part of our part of our own enthusiasm is that, you know, our task as professionals is to tell these stories once these games are played, right? And 
we're just aching to tell a new story. You know, it's so funny to hear you say that because sometimes I just stop and think that it's pretty amazing without patting ourselves on the back. But I just think about this sometimes. I think I've been here long enough where I can say this. The fact that we do what we do with events that people know the outcome is pretty amazing to think about how we present it and how cool it is and how you know exciting it is and how you still feel it with emotion. And everybody knows what happened already. Well, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a tribute to the men yeah. and women in the field who are who are capturing yeah, yeah. unbelievable visuals and and unbelievable sounds with with the microphones. But, but I think and and I've been vacillating on this all week. You know, between this urge of oh, we just need a new story to tell, and this eagle story would be a lot. Would of be a fun. great one. It would be a lot of fun to tell. Vacillating between that and. But on the other hand, as many times as we've told this story that ends with Brady, Belichick, and Kraft on the podium, someday it is going to be over, and we are going to look back on it and say that was as good as anybody ever did it for as long as anybody ever did it. And, you know, I don't know that that when Jordan was at the end of his run in the 90s with the Bulls that, that, that the... That the people who were telling that story in the NBA were, were, were aching for a new story to tell. I think everybody wanted to keep watching Michael Jordan do that and see how many years in a row he could do it. And for some reason, the vibe around the Patriots now is like, enough already. And I don't know why that is, but it's a little different than it was with the Jordan Bulls. Well, of course, their fans aren't saying it. I can tell you this. I remember being a kid and, and just watching sports and reading about sports and thinking how cool it must have been. Because, you know, the, the teams you read about right. were the winners. Boy, it must have been cool to, to watch the Steelers of right. the 70s. Boy, it would have been cool to see the Packers of the 60s. And it's like you never thought you were going to get to see those things. That Those are things you read about. But, no, we're seeing it right Maybe now. Maybe the and greatest that, and of some. them all. Yeah. And, you know, or, or certainly this it's something that stands alone because of its longevity, because of these, these three principles, the owner, the coach, and the quarterback who have – managed to stay together for all of these years. It's an incredible sports story that we will tell forever, that anyone who talks about sports will talk about forever. They have set a, a new standard in professional football, and a lot of people just want to see it end. Well, as with any winner, long-time winner, they're polarizing. Some people love them. Some people don't love them. That's the way it works with any really long-time winner. With you seeing them from a different perspective, right. looking at the tape, looking at the way a more scientific uh, point of view, watching all of it unfold, what is your own response seeing it happen again this year? Well, the way I guess to, just to, to sort of the Cliff Notes version, as someone who studies tape, I would say, and this is not necessarily profound, but it's rare the consistency of execution over time. You rarely see the Patriots play what would be viewed as poorly. I mean, sure, if they lost some games, no question. But you rarely watch the Patriots and come away feeling, wow, they really played poorly. And when they do, like I remember this year, the last game of the season against the Jets, Brady did not have a good game at all. Okay, I remember watching that and thinking, I'm anxious to see him go into the playoffs now. But it was such an aberration that it was it was almost odd to watch because you're seeing things you just don't see. So the consistency of high-level execution over a long period of time. I don't know if people really can get a, a great intellectual handle on that, how amazing that is. Because this is sports. It's high-level athletes all across the board. I mean, you know, and to do that, to execute like that so often for so long, that is really hard. And we don't even know what it's what it looks you know, we don't even know what to do with it because we don't know what it looks like because right. it's such an aberration. There's no you, your eye isn't used to seeing what you just described, yeah. so it's almost like you can't compute no. or appreciate probably right. is the word right. what they're what they're accomplishing. I think I feel like that way about I mean, Alabama they have too. A bad... I don't watch Alabama closely, but I can't even really comprehend what they're doing. They have what's viewed as a bad half against Jacksonville, right. and people are, you know, oh, my God. I mean, yeah. you know, as, as if something is, is really wrong with the, with the world. Well, that's the thing over these last two years yeah. is that in that Atlanta game and in that Jacksonville game, they were so badly outplayed for big parts of the game. 
and it's almost like they're undead at this point. Yeah. Like if you're going to kill them, <laughs> you better put a stake through their heart. And, you know, which is what we were talking about earlier. Peterson is going to have to have – if the Eagles get up 14-3, 17-3, keep the foot on the gas and keep going. Anyway, I think at this point, as we wrap things up and head into the Minnesota, into the, the bold north, as we're being told to call it, it is – you know what? It's freaking mm-hmm. cold up there. It's going to be brutal. The – we we have reasons to look forward to this game and its outcome on both ends. We're either watching the I'm ultimate, excited. I'm really the ultimate NFL dynasty or we're watching this wonderful, amazing story unfold for Philadelphia. I'm, I'm excited to hang with those quiet, low-key Eagles fans out in, in Minneapolis. This is going to be one of those 80-20 Super Bowls. Because if you're a Patriots fan... You're, you've probably spent your money going to two or three of the other right. Super Bowls. You're not going <clears> to <throat> drop another wad of cash to go to Minnesota where it's zero degrees. This is going to be a Philadelphia. This is going to be a green invasion. This is going to be like like Super Bowl Forty in Detroit, where it was all terrible towels. I think we're going to see a crowd. This is going to be a road game for the Patriots. I predict. Have you checked the weather? Go bird. Oh, I have. Of course, I have. And. Well, I, I fly in on Wednesday. It's, it's going to be 35. It's now, awful. starting Thursday, Paul, high is 11. It's awful. And in fact, I think come Saturday, the low is supposed to be 13 below. It's awful. Wow. There's, from Thursday through Monday, it's, it, it's single digits. It's, the whole it's way. a ridiculous cold snap. Minnesota. It's the yeah. Super Bowl, though. We're going. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. We're going to make great movies afterwards. We're going to talk about it. Uh, Sometime in the near future, fellas, uh, this has been an incredible, been good one. an yeah. incredible run. We I've enjoyed talking to you both so much this month, and hopefully we get to do it again. Hopefully, I some hope people so. Enjoyed listening to it. I love talking football, Paul. You know, thanks, fellas. It's been an education. One more to go this year in 2017, cause it's okay to say it's 2018 right now. It's just not okay to call this the 2018 Super Bowl. Super Bowl 52. Come on. That's uh, that's the Super Bowl this is. We can all agree. And let it be a good one. Hit it! Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Mike Kennedy. Thank you to our own guru, Greg Cosell. You can watch the Super Bowl version of ESPN's NFL matchup the weekend of the Super Bowl. Check it out. It's going to be awesome. Fact-filled. Polly. Follow NFL Films on Twitter at NFL Films. Follow Greg at Greg Cosell. Check us out on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, all your favorite social media platforms. Watch all our shows. Everywhere. From the home of America's football movies in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, I'm Paul. I'm Keith. Enjoy the Super Bowl, everyone. <laughs>